Today's reading is from James 1, 1 to 8. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes scattered among the nations, greetings. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking in anything. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. But when you ask, you must believe and not doubt, because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea, blown and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Such a person is double-minded and unstable in all they do. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks. If, if you could ask God one question, just one question, if you could ask him one question, and if you could know for sure that he was going to answer that question, what would that question be? If you could ask one question. One question, and you knew that God was going to answer that question. What would that one question be? Um, I, I think for many of us, the question might begin with the word why. Why? What, why have you allowed this to happen? Why did that happen? Why has my life turned out the way that it's turned out? Why? It's, it's the question that we ask. And it's the question that we ask in a world that is very broken and hard and where suffering is real and it actually takes place and it's in our lives. And I think this may have been the question that the people that James, who's writing this letter, were struggling with. James, if you don't know, was the half-brother of Jesus Christ. And he was uh, a gentleman who, ra- who rose to prominence in the Jerusalem church. And he rose to prominence at a time when Christianity was not very popular, to say the least. They were being persecuted, these Christians were. And so many Jewish Christians who, who he's writing to primarily but not exclusively, were forced out of Israel. They were scattered. They are the 12 tribes that he's referring to here. And as they were scattered abroad in the world, the temptation to to walk away from Jesus, and the temptation to blend into the culture was an enormous one for these young Jewish Christians. And so James is writing this letter really to engage them and to help them to grow and mature in their faith. And we know that because our passage begins that way, doesn't it? Count it all joy or consider it all joy, my brothers and sisters, when you face trials of, or many trials of different kinds, knowing that the testing of your faith produces perseverance, but let perseverance have its full effect so that you will be complete, lacking in nothing, mature, complete, lacking in nothing. And so this is James' big heart, desire. He wants these, these Jewish Christians, and you by extension this morning, who are struggling with your faith, he wants you to grow. He wants you to mature. In, in other words, he wants you to become like Jesus Christ, 
to be conformed into the image of Jesus Christ. And here, at the beginning of James' letter, he's going to do something very important, and that is to help us to know how to navigate trials, how to navigate suffering. There are different religions in the world, as you know, and they have different ways of approaching the issue of suffering. If you are a Hindu, you might think that um, the reason or the way to deal with suffering is to just accept the fact that it's karma. You're being punished for some sin you've committed in a previous life. Or maybe if you're a Muslim this morning, you, you, you might say this, I just, I have to learn to accept to bend to the will of Allah. Or maybe if you're a Buddhist, you say to yourself that the reason why I have suffered in my life is because I was too attached to this world. And the way out of that suffering is to become detached from this world. Or if you're a, a Stoic, if you happen, any Stoics this morning, it's on the rise. If you're a Stoic, you simply have to learn to reconfigure your expectations. This world is hard. It's brutal. It's tough. You better learn to readjust your expectations. And then stop being miserable and stop making other people miserable and be a force for good in the world, which sounds a lot like Jordan B. Peterson, doesn't it? It does. And while I don't doubt that he's helped many, I struggle with that message. Because while it might help some, what do you say to somebody who is racked with anxiety, down with depression, who doesn't have the personal privileges that would allow them to really thrive? And the truth of the matter is that the toll of human misery is so intense. How do you really move forward with anything that resembles thriving? The message that James is going to give us this morning is a unique perspective on how to handle suffering. It is the Christian way of handling suffering. And James gives us an outline here. On the one hand, he says that you are to consider it all joy when you face trials of various kinds. And then he goes on to say this, ask God for wisdom in the face of trial. Here's how we face trials. When something you don't expect, suddenly comes your way, out of the blue, and it comes to you face to face. James says you are to consider it all joy, pure joy, and you're also to ask God for wisdom. So first, let's look at this first one. Consider it pure joy when you face trials of different kinds, of many kinds. And I know that when we think of trials, we don't often put the word joy there. We don't think of joy in trials. We think of misery in trials. We think of sorrow in trials. We think of what? Anger in trials. But joy? Joy in trials? It it does, at first blush, seem, I mean, in the best case scenario, it seems a bit out of touch, doesn't it? with reality? It does. At worst, it seems cruel and malevolent. I mean, if someone's really going through it, what do you, you, you never go up to them and say, listen, you've got, you've got all the reason in the world to be joyful right now. Just so be joyful. Feel joyful. But you got to see this. This is not what James is saying here. He's not saying that we are ever have to feel 
joyous in the face of trial. He doesn't say that. What does he say? He says, consider it pure joy when you face trials of many kinds. And that word consider means to deem, to declare, to, to believe. In fact, sometimes in the New Testament, it's used to talk about people who were ruling or governing. And so the idea here is this, that when trials come our way, a certain kind of thinking ought to dominate our thinking. It, it is to have it, the leading thought in our thinking. It is a thought that is to control us and govern all that we think about when we are in the midst of trials. Does that make sense? Okay. What is that? It's joy. Count it pure joy, he says, whenever you face trials of various kinds. Why? 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 When we are facing trial, should we count it pure joy? That's the question. And James is going to make an argument. And he's going to continue to make that argument. And we've got to stick with him. And if we don't stick with him, we're going to miss the point And we're going to miss the blessing. So just stick with James for a minute, okay? Why? He says, because we know, for we know, the testing of our faith produces <clears throat> endurance right? So there it is. That's the beginning. When trials come, they test our faith. And you know what a test is, don't you? A test is whatever shows you what you know or you don't know, right? That's not the test, though, that James is talking about. <clears throat> when James talks about testing your faith, he's borrowing a word from the world of metallurgy, and a metallurgist would take a piece of gold that was often covered in ore and put it in a fire and melt the gold and everything and the, and the ore, the impurities would rise to the surface, skim them off, and what you would be left with is pure gold. And you got to hear this, friends, that your faith is like gold. And God will put you in to the test. He'll put you through the fire because his desire is to burn off all the impurities, all the ore, so that what you're left with is pure faith. All the things that you depend upon, all the things, the way that you practice self-dependence, the way you rely on yourself, all the stuff that's about me, God, God wants to burn away that self-dependence and he wants your faith to be holy and totally on him. And testing is the way that he does it. In fact, it says here that testing is designed to produce what? Perseverance. And here's the picture. God puts us into trials. And those trials begin to just melt away at the ore of self-dependence and cause us to trust God. Because that's what trials are designed to do. Have you noticed that? I mean, when do you ever feel so dependent on God except in a trial? It's when trials come that we say, God, you've, you've got to help me. You've got to get me out of this. We become absolutely dependent on him. And here's what God does. He sends these trials, and he keeps us in them. And the longer that we're in them, the more we depend on him, the more we're purified, and the more that we are persevering through that, that, that thing, that trial. Okay? That's how it works. Do you, do you see what's happening here? Do you see what God is doing in these trials? 
What God is doing is he wants to see pure faith, faith in him. He wants more of him and less of us, more dependence on him as God and less dependence on ourselves as ourselves. And that's what he's doing in the flames. And that's what he's doing in the fire. I know we don't like to stay there. We don't like to stay there. But we need to stay there. And Paul says, or James says here rather, that you know God's work in us when he's burning away the ore in the furnace and the fire is, is, is not the only calling here. We're not just called to be passive. We're called to do something. And what we're called to do is to let endurance have its perfect work, its full effect, so that we will be mature, complete, and lacking in nothing. Okay, We're still in the argument here, okay? So stay with me. When trials come, when suffering comes our way, we don't want to stay in them. We don't want to stay in them and persevere. We want out. Isn't that true? I mean, think of the way that we pray. When, we, when trials come our way, what is it that we pray for? So often, and I don't think they're totally bad prayers, but we want a miracle. We want deliverance. We don't want to stay there. We want out. We want this test to be done and done yesterday, right? But James is saying there's a better way. And that better way is to count it all joy when we're in that trial. Why? Because we know that God is refining our faith and he's causing us to endure and endure so that we become mature. And that's what he's doing. And James says, let God do that work. Don't be in a hurry to get off the ride. Don't be in a hurry to get out of the problem. Don't be in a hurry to get out of that thing that hurts. If God's keeping you in it, he's keeping you in it for a reason, for a purpose. And that is so that you will be mature and trust him more beautifully and perfectly. About 26 years ago, I would say, 26 years ago, uh, Wendy and I were up in Bancroft, and Wendy was, I think she was 27, week, 27 weeks pregnant. You were 26 weeks pregnant? Yeah. And she went into early labor. And, you know, terms 40, generally speaking. 26 weeks pregnant, she goes into labor. She's air ambulance from Bancroft, Ontario, with the twins, they're twins. Down to Toronto, I arrived 15 minutes later by car, which I'm not saying was right, but I did. And they put off the delivery for one week. Got, got the kids to 28 weeks, which is critical. For whatever reason, it's critical. But then they came at 28 weeks. Now, have you ever seen a 28-week baby? If you have, you know how important weeks 29 to 40 are. You realize how much development actually takes place in those weeks. And it was the hardest thing that we had ever experienced in our lives. To see our, our little girls, you know, in the incubator for months. And mom would be down there. And I would be back up home with the kids. 
and then drive down to see mom and then back again. This went on for three months. We didn't know how things were going to go, and it wasn't a given. It wasn't a sure thing. We'd be there in the in the NICU, and the bells be going off, and the parents crying because the kid didn't make it. And I would love to say to you that I let endurance, you know, have its full effect. I would love to say that to you. But I did not count it pure joy. I did not see his design. I did not see his refinement. I didn't see where it was going. I didn't count it joy. I counted it hell. I counted it judgment. I said to myself, the reason this is happening is because of something I did, some sin. That's why they're paying. That's why this is happening. And that just led to such a dark chapter in my life. But you know what? He didn't let go of me. And he was still purifying my heart. And he was surfacing all the things that he wanted to change in my heart and has been changing in my heart. Don't you see? And this is what he does with trials. I know they feel miserable. I know they might feel like judgment. I know we want to get out of them. And, and, and we pray that way. And, and maybe there's something okay about praying for deliverance. I hope there is. But, but, but Paul, but Pete, one of them, James, is saying here, we've got, we've got to learn to count it joy. Something bigger is happening in our trials. What? God is on the move. God is purifying our faith and causing us to depend less on ourselves and more on him. And that's how you grow in the Christian faith. That's how you grow. And so, I think I just want to ask this question this morning. What trial are you, are you going through? What is it that has come into your life? What did you not expect, but it's there and you're looking at face to face? And it doesn't seem to be going away. And how are you to navigate that moment? And what James is saying is, count. Count it all joy. Doesn't feel good. Doesn't feel like joy. We count it joy. We make that our, our mindset, our dominating mindset. You have to do that in the furnace. And know that God is refining your faith to make you persevering and persevering so that you mature and grow in your faith and become like Jesus. I would love to pull some of you out of the misery of your trial. I just think that's bad pastoring. Because I don't think that's what James is saying here, and I don't think that's what God wants. And it breaks my heart that some of you are in the flames and I would love to pull you out, but God would have you stay there because he wants to burn off the ore and he wants your faith to be pure and to rely on him as never before so that you grow and mature. Does that make sense? I hope it does. But what do you do? What do you do when you are in it and you're so confused and you're so perplexed and you don't know what to do and you're just... What do you do? And this is the other unique thing that, that Paul, Paul, that James is going to tell us. We ask, for, we ask for wisdom. We ask for wisdom. 
If any of you, if he says, that's kind of funny. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault and it will be given to that person. The, the thing about trials, friends, is that so often when we're in them, we just, we just don't know what's going on. Isn't that true? We just get so consumed. We get sucked into the vortex of the trial. And we start spinning, spinning. Like the squirrel. This, this squirrel. I saw this squirrel once, and it got stuck in between traffic. Two, uh, two tra- one coming this way, one coming that way. And it panicked. And it just, bzz, it just spun. It was panicking. And I think we get to that place where we just don't know, and we spin, we spin, we spin. And we don't know what to do. We don't know how to navigate. And it's not clear to us that God's refining us. What do we do? What do we do? And what James says here is this. You are to simply ask God for wisdom. He says, ask God for wisdom. Are you like, what do I do, God? How do I move forward? How am I to think? Because I'm not thinking straight. He says, stop and ask for wisdom. And to make sure that you know he's going to answer you, he presents this beautiful picture of who God is. Check this out. He says, God is a God who gives, and he gives generously. You may think he's being stingy with your life, but just stop for a second and look at every good thing that you have, every good thing you have. You may think that there are things that are missing, and I'm not saying they're not, or at least you perceive them that way, but... Every good thing that you have, every good thing you have, where did it come from? It came from God. Everything. This is not a miserly God. This is not a God who holds out on us. He's a God who gives and gives generously. And gives generously to all without finding fault, which means that he won't ever mock you or chide you for not having wisdom, for being weak, for not knowing what to do in the midst of this trial. And then this, the wisdom will be given to you and it will be given to you. The wisdom that you need, the wisdom to do the right thing, the wisdom to take the truth of what God is saying and put it into practice in your life. The wisdom to know how to navigate this moment. The wisdom to see it correctly. The wisdom to see God's sovereign and loving design for you to grow and mature you. He will give that to you. And when it comes, it may, it may come right to you. More likely, though, it's going to come to you right through the Word of God. It will come to you through community as we talk about these things and pray about these things and wrestle these things down and wrangle them down. That's how it will come, his wisdom. But it will come to you. And God promises that, and you can take that promise to the bank. And so we pray. We pray, and what we don't do is doubt. Because James says that the person who doubts is like the wave of the sea that's tossed back and forth. That person, James says, should not expect to receive anything from God. Which to me is scary. Isn't it scary to you? Because I feel a little bit like that person right there who one minute says, I trust you, God. I believe you. I'm not sure, though, the next moment, right? Back and forth. Back and forth. And how many times have you been there? 
and said to yourself, I don't want to be this person. And how many times have you said to yourself, God, forgive me for waffling, for vacillating. And I want to believe, help my unbelief. How many of you have prayed that in that moment? Well, that's not the person that James is talking about. The person that James is talking about refuses to go to God, refuses to say, Lord, I'm weak and needy. The person that James is talking to or wants you to be is the person who knows that Jesus Christ knew what it was to be in the furnace. It was for the joy, Hebrews 12, 2 says, that he, the joy that was set before him, that he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of God. Wow. It was for the joy that was set before him that he went to that cross. It was for the joy that he rose again and is now seated governing your life. Governing your life. What is that joy? You are that joy. The joy of bringing many to himself. The joy of bringing many to himself. And bringing those people to himself, putting them through the furnace, and growing their faith so that they are maturing, complete lacking in nothing. Listen, if Jesus Christ went to all of that work, if he went to that cross for the joy that was set before him, will he not answer that prayer for wisdom wherever you are this morning, whatever trial you're going through? Of course he will. Of course he will. And he wants to give you that wisdom. He doesn't want you spinning around in that trial. He wants you to come to him and say, I'm needy. I'm hurting. And I'm not going to do this well. And I'm not going to receive the blessing that you designed for me, which is to make me more like Jesus. Because I want out of this trial, and I don't want to be here anymore. Help me to stay and burn away that Burn away that ore. Please burn it away. And I know we don't want to stay there. I don't want to stay there. Because I love my comfort more than I love holiness. I feel many times. And I love controlling my world. And I love what people think of me way more. My reputation way more than maturing. I want that. But God, keep me in the furnace and burn away the ore so that what emerges is pure faith. And I learn to lean on you needily all the days of my life. That is a prayer, my friends, worth praying, even while you are weeping in the furnace of suffering. So where are you this morning? Do you want out? I don't blame you. Man, it's hard to be there. Man, it's hard to stay there. It's hard to persevere in that. It's hard to see what God is doing. But James says this morning to you, and I think it is the most powerful message that anyone could ever tell you in the flames of affliction. Count it. Consider it all joy my brothers and sisters, when you face trials of various kinds. God is doing something enormous, (laughs) cosmic in your life. And if you need wisdom, and you do, ask, and he will give it to you. 
and he will remind you of what he's doing and he will show you the way through and you will get through it because he will walk with you through it but he will beautify you and mature you in the promise in the process so that is what i want to pray for right now father you know that this world is strewn with misery and you know father the real hardships that encompass us and meet us and you know father our tendency so often is just to get out of the heat we just want to get out of the frying pan Lord, you call us, not because you hate us, not because you're judging us. Thank God that judgment fell on Christ already. You've put us there, Father. You've put these people there. You will put us there until we die to make us like Jesus. And we know, Lord, that you're going to burn away the ore of self-reliance and self-dependence. You don't want anything to encumber, to get in the way of our hope. Thank you. Though it's not easy to thank you that way always. My prayer, Father, this morning is that every one of us in this room is going through trials, who will go through trials, would learn what it is to consider it all joy. And to believe that you're doing something far bigger than what our experiences, our suffering is telling us. Help us to stay, Father, put, even as we cry for release. And help us, Father, in our neediness to cry for wisdom. Father, we are desperate for your wisdom. So often we just don't know the way through or how to think. I have no doubt in my heart, Father, that there are some this morning who desperately need a word of wisdom. We pray, Father, you'll give it to them and that you'll give it to them through your word, but also through community. We pray that we'll be a community that walks side by side with people who are going through it. And just a supportive community that points people to the transforming and refining work of the Spirit of God. So, Lord, do your work and grow and mature us, we pray. Burn the ore away and make our faith beautiful. Make it pure, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.